Contented Media presents Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, an original podcast series with Mark Hunter and Arthur Van Pelt. Hello and welcome to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, the podcast that takes a razor-sharp scalpel to the Craig Wright story, dissects it with utmost care and extracts the juiciest bits to feast upon. This special bonus episode touches on a storm that has been steadily brewing ever since Craig Wright signed that famous deal in 2015 that would result in the birth of Enchain, and which, more pertinently for us, would see Wright create a mammoth blockchain patent portfolio. As anyone who has followed the Craig Wright story will know, Wright puts huge store in this broom cupboard full of blockchain patents, with Enchain now boasting over 1,200 active patents and pending applications. Having spent years amassing these, Wright has recently announced that he will start enforcing what he perceives as patent violations, claiming recently that he's not aware of a single blockchain or cryptocurrency that is not violating his patents. In fact, here's a clip from a CoinGeek conference in July where he discusses his next steps. Uh, that's my offer at the moment. I mean, this is the carrot and the stick. The hard way, easy way, I don't care. It's yeah. going to happen. There's no one I, I know of who isn't breaking an in-chain patent at the moment <laughs> in this industry. And I can't go after everyone at once. Sure. I, mean, I mean, we can do one or two a year, and we'll start with the big ones. So the small ones might survive a little while. Yeah. But I might randomly pick a small one to pick on. It seems that this looming patent war may soon be upon us, so joining Arthur and I today is a man who knows an awful lot about this aspect of the Craig Wright saga, having looked into it for a fair old while now. We're delighted to welcome David Pierce, aka Dr. Tufty Sylvestris, to the Dr. Bitcoin podcast. David, good to have you here. Thank you very much, Mark. Tufty used to be a, a secret, but has, has not been a secret for quite a while. So yeah, I'm happy being mentioned in, in both uh, names. I was going to say, you're not doing a great job of keeping it secret. <laughs> the, the, the OPSEC used to be better than it, than it was. I, I have a story about that, but maybe if we've got time, we can, we can go over that. Cool. Excellent stuff. Okay. So we're here to talk about patents. Um, before we get involved in the whole Craig Wright patent saga, can you please give us a bit of information on your history, your background, um, how you got into this and um, what your connection is with Arthur? Okay. Well, my background is is probably not, not what you expect um, other than back in the early 80s, I, I was obsessed with programming my ZX Spectrum. So that, that puts me in, in, in a certain age bracket. <laughs> um, I did an engineering degree, uh, couldn't really find a job, so I got a PhD in uh, high-temperature ceramic materials, so nothing to do with computers. Um, stayed on after my PhD and spent a few years uh, doing postdoc research into piezoelectric materials, and that eventually led to an invention. So it's the first, the first point towards where we are now. I, I invented a, a thing... Uh, that got called the Helimorph. It's a super helical piezoelectric actuator. Oh, what are those? Uh, what one of those? Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, it got bought out by a, a company, in, startup company in Cambridge. I suppose what led to me becoming a patent attorney, and in, in the end, was uh, there was a dispute over over the IP and and how much I got paid. In fact, it all comes down to money. Mm -hmm. um, but as part of that dispute, I, I got interested in the the patent law side. Uh, and uh, a friend of mine suggested, uh, why not become a patent attorney? Uh, my response was, well, 
don't you need to be a lawyer? Uh, and she said, no, you don't. You, you need to be an engineer like you are. So I, I changed career in, in my early 30s, became a patent attorney in sort of early 2000s. Uh, didn't really see or pay any attention to Bitcoin until around about 2016, 2017, I think. Mm -hmm. I, probably, I think it was probably the Andrew O'Hagan article that uh, got me interested in it. And, and I got further interested because Enchain started filing an awful lot of patent applications. So lots of people in the patent profession pricked up their ears and thought, well, who's paying all this money for you know, hundreds, literally hundreds of applications started appearing on the the UK Patent Office register. Mm -hmm. We couldn't tell what they were because um, it takes 18 months for them to, to publish. But over time, uh, I kept an eye on these on these things and, um, and it sort of led towards, as they were getting granted, I was thinking, okay, these, if these are interesting, where's, where's all the interest? Who's paying interest in, uh, to these patents and, and why is nobody opposing them? Mm -hmm. And that sort of takes us up to to 2021, I suppose, when uh, I contacted Arthur. Yeah, I think I think it was there. We are we are um, related for like almost two years, I guess, one and a half at least. What do I remember from back then? I was always uh, sending you links and tweets and, and and news, and yeah, we just stay in touch. And at some point, it grew to the point that uh, where we are now that you were uh, thinking, I think I found a patent that, uh, that we can uh, do something with. And you came with a proposal. That's, yes, that's, that's what came up in 2021. I was, I was looking around to see, well, is anyone interested in this space? And is anyone thinking about trying to attack or at least question some of these patents that Enchain was getting? If we look at, first of all, a patent um, in itself, what are the the pros and cons of a company like Enchain obtaining a patent for something it's created? If I just go over the a couple of basics about what, what a patent is, mm -hmm. if you come up with an invention, you get a limited monopoly for that invention in return for telling everyone about it uh, and, and importantly telling everyone how to do it. And the second important point to know about a patent is that all it allows you to do is to stop someone else from doing what the patent says. It doesn't allow you to do what the patent says, it only allows you to, to stop pe other people from doing it. Mm -hmm. So the, the benefit of a patent is in the ability to stop people and therefore if you say, I, I want some money from you, otherwise I will, I will stop you doing that, then what you have to have is, is an invention that other people want to use. That's the benefit in the usual benefit in getting a patent because it gives you uh, the ability to get a return on an investment that you've had to make in getting to the point of commercializing something. So it might cost you a lot of money to develop a new widget uh, and to bring it onto the market. If you bring something onto the market and then someone else could look at that and, and just go, well, I can just copy that uh, without having to invest the amount of money that you've invested that's the reason, the basic reason for having a, a patent system. Mm -hmm. The cons really come in when doing that is, is less costly. So if you can just sit down and, and rattle off an idea and get a patent for it at very little cost and cover something that someone is either 
inevitably going to going to do or is developing or, or you know you've just come up with an idea and, and not invested anything in it uh, but you can then go and and stop other people from from doing it then you're getting into the realms of you know this is not necessarily a, a benefit this is not a, a an overall benefit a, a public good and, and this is where you, you get into the area of, of, of patent trolls they're people who have not necessarily uh, invested much in developing their their patents in developing their inventions but then use those patents to extract uh, or extort people would say um, money out of out of people who they they allege infringe those patents mm -hmm. if you look at it objectively and take a step back at what nchain are doing what they look to be doing is you know they're building up an enormous patent portfolio and and they're invest clearly investing a lot of money in all sorts of different areas around blockchain etc well that's fine isn't it if they're developing lots of useful inventions and patenting them then they're using the system for, for what it's designed for uh, but that's not the whole story is it no not at all <laughs> so, so david could you talk us through what nchain has to go through when it applies for one of these patents please i've got one in front of me i won't need to don't need to go into the, the details of which one it is, but we've got a European granted patent in the name of Enchain Licensing AG, which is a Swiss company. That's um, what they've been doing recently. All, all their patents have been assigned to a Swiss company. It was a company in Antigua, <laughs> not the UK. So Enchain is based in the UK, but their, their company was based in Antigua and now they've assigned their patents to a Swiss company. Mm -hmm. So they have a European patent. That originally was filed in... February 2016. Wow. So it can take quite a long time for these things to get granted. And the one I'm looking at was granted in September, so just, just a couple of months ago. A patent application, if you keep it going from filing to grant, at around 18 months after the filing date, you have an A publication, um, which is just what the applicant's filed. So it's not what's been granted, it's not what's been examined necessarily. And then after that, it gets examined properly and the applicant usually has to make some amendments, has to argue the case with the examiner. It goes back and forth a few times, maybe. And eventually, if it gets granted, you get a B publication. Uh, and that's the granted patent. So normally what you get is, is the claims get limited. So what you originally claim might be very broad. The examiner objects to that and says, no, I found something that covers that. It's in the prior art. And then you go, okay, well, I'll, I'll add another few features and, and get around that prior art. And then the examiner goes, okay, we'll grant that. This whole process can take a few years. This application, this granted patent I'm looking at, so it's a European granted patent, took over six years to be granted. I can also look at where it ended up elsewhere. So it's like a tree branching off in different directions. So you end up with a family of patent applications and patents. And, and what normally happens, and I think this is what happens in all Enchain applications, it's quite common, is that 12 months after they file a UK application, they then file what's known as an international application, um, which then gets searched by the International Searching Authority. And then after another 18 months, they then decide which countries they want to prosecute that international application in. And in the one I'm looking at, they've gone into China, Europe, Japan, Korea, and the US. And they also have one granted in the UK. I'm not sure how they got that, but yeah. 
So they've gone in the major jurisdictions that, that would be quite common for big companies. Would it be fair to estimate that each patent uh, is from the creation, filing, publishing, granting, and then refiling and, and, and uh, pushing them into other countries? I, I once read a number, and I think it was mentioned by either Kelvin, uh, Kelvin Hare or Craig Wright, I remember a number of $70,000, so sometimes when I talk about it in public, I, I, I say between fifty and 100000 Is that a fair number, you think? I think for that number of jurisdictions, so you know, you're looking at USA, Japan, Europe, China, maybe a couple of others, yes, fifty to 100000 to get to the point we are now, so maybe five or six years down the line, you either will have spent certainly between 50 and 100,000, probably more. For one patent we're talking about? Bear in mind the distinction between patents and patent families. Right. So you have, like I said, if you consider the, the original UK application, the root, uh, that establishes the patent family, and then that branches out into as many different countries as you want to file in. And that patent family, they're all, they all become separate patents, but they're all part, they're all have a common root. Enchain will say we have thousands of, of patents and patent applications. Okay, but but you have only 350 patent families. It's still an awful lot, but you consider you know the number of inventions effectively versus the number of patents. The number of patents can be enormously larger than the number of inventions you have. On just a simple search on the European patent register, uh, I get 361 uh, applications and patents in the name of Enchain. Mm -hmm. And so, when when we have to multiply and make and make a guess of uh, how much Enchain, uh, Kelvin Air, uh, is spending on this stuff, it's like three hundred and sixty times one hundred thousand, maybe even plus. I was thinking of a a ballpark figure of how much you'd have to spend per year, and it's got to be several million per year just just keeping this going. Right. So back in 2015, when Craig Wright signed this deal as Satoshi Nakamoto, quote unquote, the idea was um, to quote from, uh, I think this is from the, the Satoshi affair, um, either uh, Stephen Matthews or Robert McGregor said that the idea was to package it all up and sell it and never to operate it. Now, can you explain what that means in real terms? Hmm. I can explain it in, in normal terms. Like if you do, if you're thinking of this like a, a normal company, a normal operation, that would be like the way a university would operate. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't normally, you wouldn't consider a, a university to be a patent troll. But what they do, um, universities hardly ever, unless they spin out companies, they, they hardly ever um, commercialize themselves, their inventions. What they do is, is they might get a few patents and build up a, a portfolio that they can then license or sell to an interested party, and that's fine. Nobody nobody objects to that sort of that sort of behaviour. Then that's effectively what what Enchain have been doing. So they've been pumping obviously lots of money into getting uh, inventions out of out of Craig and and others. You know there are lots of other inventors that that have been named on on these applications, and on on the face of it. That's absolutely fine. You know what they—they they must know what they're doing. They must have some sort of strategy that you know they, these are going to cover 
an overarching goal and then someone's going to want to come along and pay them a lot of money uh, to, to license this. Yeah, in the Satoshi affair, uh, numbers of, of billions were mentioned. Up, upward of a billion, I remember. Yeah, taking a more sceptical view, <laughs> <laughs> probably taking off my patent attorney hat a little bit. Having had a look at some of these, these patents, the, there's an awful lot of stuff that, that just seems incredibly obscure and, and varied, and it's all over the place. I spoke to a guy who worked um, for Enchain for a couple of years, about three years, I think he worked there. This is the quote he said to me. He said, also, the inventions in nearly all of these patents serve no real business use case. They are essentially obscure ways to shoehorn parts of the Bitcoin tech stack into other technologies. And it seems like what you're saying, David, kind of backs that up. That makes actually complete sense. Yeah, I'd certainly see that. But the common theme seems to be that there's an awful lot of obfuscation there. This is what I I think Enchain has been doing, and, and really it's, it's Craig Wright leading this. It's throwing lots and lots of obfuscatory sounding stuff, technical sounding stuff, at the wall of the patent system with a view to just going through the system and, and making it appear like you've got lots and lots of interesting inventions without actually having anything really in substance. But it's all, it's all described in such a way that someone who reads superficially the, these patent applications would, would immediately think, blimey, this, this is complicated stuff, and, and they must really know what they're talking about, and these guys are genius. But I've gone into reasonable depth on a few of these, and, and superficially on a lot more, and, and the ones I go into depth, the more I read into them, the more I think there's not really anything there. So my gut feeling now <laughs> is that what, what they're doing is that the purpose is just to keep the appearances going so that whoever's funding the whole project can, can keep on throwing the money at it, which is, as we know, Calvin Air. How long that can go on, I, I don't know. I, I've, <laughs> it's, it's baffling me that it's, it's gone on this long. Arthur, given what we know of Craig Wright, doesn't that just fit the pattern to a to a T? Oh, absolutely! This is Craig Wright. Uh, his, his his signature uh, moves in uh, in the Bitcoin industry. This is how he is. I, when I watch his videos, for example, when he is explaining the Bitcoin white paper, uh, he made several videos uh, about it. The, the BSV fans, they they wow, they they love it. And when I look at it. After 10 minutes, I'm already bored. He's not explaining anything. He's just rambling on, rambling on, rambling on. And he knows the, the jargon. He knows the, the nomenclature for a bit. But he, he makes a lot of mistakes when he's talking about it. And it makes no sense. Only for the superficial uh, listener. It might make sense. But I'm not a superficial listener uh, for many years already anymore. So, yeah. So the, so the patents fall in the same scheme, I guess. I think the difference with the patents is that it's not just Craig that's that's doing this. He's he's thrown a lot of his ideas into this system, but he's got other other co-inventors who who may well actually know what they're talking about, uh, and they, they've involved some pretty clever patent attorneys who have it's probably not right to say cobbled together. They've they've assembled these these patent applications 
in a way that, as you would have to do as as a patent attorney, you make you make it into a coherent whole. You make the thing make sense. Presumably, you've gone through the process of asking questions and making sure that the patent application looks sound. You don't know what the original invention disclosure was, but it's been polished and refined and then filed as an application and then comes out the system a few years down the line. Uh, and you don't know what, what's gone on behind the scenes to get to that point, but you can kind of get a, an impression based on you know the, the sort of bag of features that, that you tend to see in, in a lot of these where it's all a bit arbitrary uh, and the ones that they have got granted. Andreas Antonopoulos's book, Mastering Bitcoin, which was published in 2014, that gets cited quite a lot. The Joseph Poon paper on the Lightning Protocol gets cited quite a lot. And a lot of them are, well, th this is just this feature in Bitcoin with an alternative twist or with a new feature that's just strikes me as being, well, that's just a bit arbitrary. No one's going to want to use that. What is your impression when you go through all these patents? I mean, let's say you have seen uh, out of the 360. What do you think? How many did you have a more than superficial look at? Well, I've only looked so far at the ones that have been granted. Right. Because I, I think, well, it, while, they're while they're still pending, before they've been granted, basically anything can happen. Is your impression that any of them can or and or will lead to working products that the industry as a whole can use? It's it's difficult to see. They're, they're patenting things all over the place, so it's, it's difficult to see a, a coherent theme in all of these anyway. And I've, I've probably looked in in reasonable detail on maybe a couple of dozen of these granted patents. Mm -hmm. There are 57 European patents that have been granted. I've superficially looked through most, if not all of them, just seeing are there any obvious ones to, to have a go at. And, well, the two that I've looked at in the most detail, one was from last year where the patent relating to that involved a variation on uh, communication between nodes. So we know the Bitcoin network operates using nodes uh, and they communicate with each other. All, all transactions get sent to all nodes. Uh, and this was a variation on that saying, well, we want some nodes to be special nodes and other nodes to communicate using uh, encrypted links with other nodes. And reading it, I was thinking, well, this is not something that anyone would want to use. Eventually got involved with, with an expert who did know about that particular field. And, and he said, well, this is just a variation on this paper from 1990 or whenever it was. I think the difference was the private key was shared between the nodes. That was it. Uh, otherwise, it was the same as, as what was disclosed in, a, in an earlier paper from 20 years previously. But it got, through, it got through the system because there was this extra, essentially arbitrary feature that they could persuade an examiner uh, that it was new. But you can, you can add any feature and you go, well, this is new because it's different over this document. And then, David, is it your impression then also that when they file these patents, because they are mostly, if not all, I guess, the, they are blockchain um, related. And that field is, of course, quite new. Is it fair to say that those examiners at the, the patent registry offices, um, they have no knowledge or they are uh, not uh, experienced in that field? they are likely to approve or, or grant a patent in, in the blockchain industry? 
I think may, maybe earlier on that might have been the case, but certainly at the European Patent Office, they're pretty good. At the European Patent Office, you have examining divisions who are expert in a particular narrow field, and that those are the applications that they will deal with. So pretty quickly, once, once a new, new sort of field has become established, those particular examining divisions will know what's out there. So you might be able to get a couple past them early on, but then they, they'll, they'll quickly be up to speed on, on what's in there in that field. And, and, and I've, I've seen, on looking through the prosecution files on lots of these, uh, you see the same papers coming up again, and, and the examiners know where to look. And they've, they've cited uh, Bitcoin improvement protocols and you know, things on GitHub and, and things on Wikipedia and, and all sorts. They, they know where to look for, for the prior art. So, um, yeah, you, you might be able to get some the initial things past them, but where we are now, I think it's, it's a fair fight, more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that, that, that suggests to me that when Craig Wright is saying he's promising like 20,000 uh, patents uh, in his lifetime, that will be quite hard for him, if not impossible. Uh, well, he's got 57 Europeans so far, so at the current rate, that'll, that'll, <laughs> that's going to take quite a while. How many lifetimes is he going to live? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's impressive for anyone to get that many European patents, so I, I don't want to knock him for that. But yeah, uh, 20,000 is uh, it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Is it a case that the, the deeper you go with it, the more specific you get with a patent, the less chance you have of anyone actually wanting to use it? Well, the less chance there is of anyone infringing it, which I suppose is the same, saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. To take the example that were the one I looked at last year in detail, if anyone was, was going to want to pay to not be sued on that patent, they would have to be doing something that's very, very specific, involving shared private keys and, and bilinear pairing operations and map-to-point hashes and all, all sorts of really quite specific things that no one in their right mind would put together and, and actually use in practice, mm -hmm. at least as far as I can tell. From your knowledge of blockchain, do you know if, as Craig Wright says, there is no blockchain, there is no cryptocurrency not infringing my patents? I mean, how, how accurate do you think that statement is from what you've seen? I've been looking out for, I generally ignore a lot, a lot of what Craig says, but <laughs> I, I pay attention when, when he makes specific allegations on specific patents. And he's, he's done that a few times. Mm -hmm. He's claimed that such and such a patent covers lightning. So immediately I then go and look at that patent. And then obviously it doesn't because it's got a specific feature that uh, had to be added to claim one to get it over the line to get granted, which means that no one would need to infringe it. So that, that's usually the, the case. So the thing that they have to add to get it granted means that it won't cover the thing that Craig claims it covers. So he's also, he's also claimed that um, he has a patent on NFTs, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, there, there are some that involve off-chain things being registered on-chain and, and it sounds sort of vaguely similar to NFTs but they, al they always have a, a weird feature in there that means that well okay you, you could infringe that but why would you want to you just don't need to add that feature well you could do it a different way yeah exactly you, you, you go well if I'm in danger of infringing this oh this weird feature here I can just do it slightly differently and, and I wouldn't be infringing 
he either genuinely thinks that the ideas he has had have been carried out and and fully back up his claim so if he says right ethereum infringed my patent on nfts he either genuinely thinks his patent covers everything that he's going to sue for or he's completely bullshitting for whatever reason <laughs> are you able to cast an opinion onto which of those you think is the more accurate i can set, say my opinion based on the very specific thing that he said about the opposition that i wrote but either filed and he did mention on Twitter, someone asked him, uh, or someone pointed out, oh, these, these jokers have filed an opposition. So, and all he had to say was, oh, it's, it's a joke. Uh, they're just saying what the examiner's already looked at. This is why I think Craig doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't understand patent law because he would have, he would have spotted this. It's a basic rule of European patent law that you're not allowed to add matter. Well, that brings us neatly on to the opposition that you and Arthur have come up with together. So why don't you talk us through um, what this patent is and what you found that's wrong with it? As I mentioned, I've been looking at what Enchain have, have had granted from the EPO over the last year, year and a half. Really looking at if there's any low-hanging fruit, easy targets, whether this is they've patented something that's, that's already known, so we've got some prior art, what I what I've been looking for is well are there are there any easy easy I'm giving my game away really but it, it doesn't really matter are there any easy targets that that I can see and having looked through however many dozens of these this one popped up a few weeks ago and I, and I saw it and and knowing about the how things work at the EPO um, immediately almost immediately after a few minutes thought oh oh dear. That one doesn't look good. Then I'd, I thought, well, someone should oppose this. The opposition that we filed is a very specific attack uh, involving um, Article 123 of the European Patent Convention, which is all about added matter. So it doesn't cite any prior art. We're not saying this is not new, this is not inventive. What we're saying is this has been amended in a way that adds matter that was not disclosed in the original application. It's one of the basics of you know patent law um, that once you've filed something, you can't start changing the invention. You can't start adding things that you didn't put in in the first place. That's that's just fair play. You know if you if you claim something specific and then you say five years down the line, oh well, naturally it has this extra feature as well, but you didn't include that at the outset. That's adding matter and that's not allowed. So the attack is that during amendment uh, to get this this patent granted. An amendment was made that shouldn't have been done. It added matter. It looked actually like a, a, an error made by the patent attorney, nothing that Craig has done. And it makes it, as far as I can see, fatally flawed. So when the European Patent Office grant a patent, there is a, a period of nine months uh, during which anyone of any standing can file an opposition. You just have to pay a 840 euro fee and state your case, whether it's I have some prior art that, that knocks this out or something has been done that makes this um, invalid, like you've added matter, or, or even that, you've, that the patent hasn't, hasn't disclosed the invention in a way that makes it possible for someone to reproduce it. So anyone can file an opposition uh, and then that becomes a, a, a sort of legal case where you've got the opponent, the proprietor and the EPO. It usually lasts about 18 months. Things go back and forth in writing, ends up in a hearing at the end, 
and the, and the EPO decide whether the patent stands unamended or whether it has to be amended uh, or whether it's revoked. And with your patent attorney hat on, not with your Craig Wright hat on, what do you think is the uh, the likely outcome for the, the opposition you have filed? Without going into the, the detailed technical aspects of it, I think it's pretty much dead. Because it's been amended to add matter to the independent claims, and that amendment can't be corrected after grant because it would broaden the claims. So on most of the claims, that is a fatal flaw. There's a small possibility on some of the other claims that the last two claims, well, claims 22 and 23, if anyone wants to look in, in enough detail, they can find the patent. There's a possibility that they might survive, but I think it's only a slim possibility. So I, I'm pretty confident that this is basically a zombie patent. This, this is already dead. It just isn't, doesn't realise. Regarding this single issue then, did you say 18 months or how long did you say this whole process would last for? The EPO aim to get oppositions finished within 18 months and that counts from the end of the opposition period. So in, in this one, the end of the opposition period is March next year. So unfortunately, even though we've filed it and we've paid the fee, nothing is going to happen until March because the EPO will always wait until the end of the opposition just in case someone else has filed one. So 18 months from March next year? From then. So it's even though they have speeded up things considerably over the last few years, uh, 18 months is still a, seems like a pretty long time to, to decide what's really quite a simple, simple case in, in this one. <laughs> the, the opposition has already been formally examined, so it is admissible. We've paid the fee. It meets the formal requirements. Sometime in March, the EPO will, will issue a communication to end chains attorney and then they will get four months to to respond to that then we'll see what they think of the opposition really we could get a chance to respond to that but we don't need to the opposition division will then issue a summons to oral proceedings probably with a preliminary opinion so they'll tell both parties what their opinion is non-binding but we think it's valid but it's valid invalid reasons and they'll invite the parties to to attend oral proceedings at the EPO to discuss it and then the final decision will be made on the on the day of the of the hearing so let's look ahead let's say that you get the outcome that we're all hoping for and it gets booted it's not exactly the start of a massive chain of dominoes that see all his patents kicked out or anything like that I, I get the impression it would be quite embarrassing for them, to be honest, because they've put so much store in this and to be kicked out for like a technical error, that's that's going to be a bit kind of chastening, isn't it? Well, you could look at it one or two ways, I suppose. It, it, it's Yeah, it could be an embarrassing error and somebody gets told off. Or you could look at it in, in the sense that, you know, I've looked at 57 of these patents and I've only found one with an error like this in it. So that's not a bad rate of success. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't happen. Um, as, as a patent attorney, I would be extremely embarrassed if that if I made that amendment and and made the patent in, invalid as a result. But they they might take the view that well, we've filed a divisional anyway, um, so they've got another application pending. This is this one, by the way, is is a group of uh, three or four applications that relates to um, Craig's crackpot idea of um, Bitcoin being Turing complete. You know, you know all about that, Arthur, or have you, you read about that? 
No, yeah, of course I know about uh, the Turing uh, complete uh, claims and uh, the plagiarized papers that uh, he wrote uh, about them, which is a bunch of uh, nonsense. But yeah, yeah please go ahead and, and explain. Uh, this patent is one of three that was granted recently that cover different aspects of supposedly making Bitcoin Turing complete by adding um, an off-chain agent, which basically looks for locking and unlocking scripts. Uh, locking and unlocking script itself just does a logical test. So it has Boolean inputs and does something logical. In this case, it's an XOR operation, but they've covered various other ones. And, and XOR was one of the options in the original Bitcoin protocol, but it was disabled shortly after. So it basically covers what was inherent in, in the original Bitcoin protocol. So you have, you have the, the off-chain agent, which effectively is, is Bitcoin Core, the software that runs it. You've got locking scripts, unlocking scripts. Uh, and, and the idea of it being Turing complete is that you can, you can then use the locking, unlocking, unlocking scripts to do the logical operation, and then the agent does the other bits which the script doesn't do, like loops. It's it's bonkers. I I can't see anyone <laughs> infringing this. It seems like a these are particular vanity projects of of Craig's, and and, and these ones are well, ones where Craig is the only inventor. So I, I think this is even more of a a vanity project of Craig's where he just wants this one patented because it's one of his bugbears or claims that he likes to make. And and if he can get a patent for something that says Bitcoin is chewing complete, then he can start waving it around. Yeah. And say, look, look, uh, Nick Zabo. I told you in 2015 or whenever it, whenever it was. I saw the video, and uh, you know, Nick Zabo is looking a bit puzzled about Craig saying, "Yes, Bitcoin is Turing complete." I remember <laughs> that. It does seem to me that this is just another extension of his desire to give the impression that he knows more about blockchain and Bitcoin than anybody else. It, but again, as you said, once you look under the surface, you look into it it's actually, it just crumbles and it, it, it's just, there's no substance to it whatsoever. And it, I find it amazing that he is essentially, you know, in, in his words, he's going to war on the back of these patents. And it seems to me that over the next five years or however, or however long it's going to be, it's just going to be one embarrassment after another because he might get um, some slight successes if there's if there's one blockchain that happens to maybe by accident have have copied something he's patented that he might get some victory there but do you do you think then that it, this is just going to be uh, a, a five-year process of pain for him <laughs> i don't know I'd, I'd i'd be surprised if he lasts that long i wonder whether we'll, this opposition will even get get to the end uh, while craig's still operating or n chain is still operating i don't know if we, could, if we could think ahead. Fine. Yes, let, let's pretend nothing else is happening. It's only the patent cases that he's got. Do you, do you think that this is just going to go nowhere? Well, I'd, this well, this is one of the one of the questions that is is open. Really, what would it look like if N Chain were winning? Um, and obviously, the the BSV should be going up. Um, they should be getting announcing big licensing deals with with big companies because. It'd be no use for them suing small players and just threatening them with infringement like a, a normal patent troll. They they need to go for the the big boys. If they start waving their their patents around, from what we've seen, the big boys will go, uh, no. This is either you know we're not we don't even infringe this because you've added this feature here, or 
uh, we've got some prior art on that and you don't stand a chance. Like you say, they might have accidentally covered something that turns out to be really useful. I think that's probably their best shot. But they, you know, the chances of that happening, don't know. They might have had some amazing genius inventor there that, that's, it won't be Craig, but <laughs> it, it, some other inventor that's from NChain might have come up with something really good. Mm. Uh, and, and I've not recognised it and, and other people haven't and eventually someone might spot it and go, hang on, this is what such and such a company is using. And then that will that will save Enchain because it will be worth billions. <laughs> so I, I, just thinking that that might happen. So just just to close things off, um, do you plan to start looking because obviously they're getting patents filed, you know, on a semi regular basis. Do you plan to keep looking through as soon as you can the the new patents that get filed for more of the the low hanging fruit, as you say? Well, I'm keeping a, a spreadsheet of all the ones that get granted by the EPO. So that's that's public knowledge. I'm I'm keeping that annotated, and and that's a sort of progress update on where things stand. So I'm I'm keeping an eye on a fairly regular basis. I think the other two uh, Turing complete type patents might be interesting to look at from a a novelty inventive step attack viewpoint. Like I said, they they would stand less of a chance of of knocking it out completely. But I'm fairly sure that you know they're 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 a bit they're on shaky ground, because they're effectively claiming things that are inherent in in how uh, the Bitcoin core and script operates. But yeah, we'll see. If if anyone's interested in attacking those, then uh, then you know I'm happy to help out. We did not properly discuss uh, how Enchain can actually patent troll their way through the Bitcoin industry or blockchain industry what can they do and, and why why is this moment this uh, opposition at this moment uh, important to do i mean if you get a patent kicked out obviously they cannot uh, patent troll anymore um, but at the moment and that's why this moment is so important for this uh, to do an opposition and the more we can do the better but the patent trolling is they will start calling companies uh, and chain and claim that uh, another party is uh, yeah, infringing copyright. And then what can they do? They can avoid a legal case by paying license fees, or they can change the product and take out the feature that is infringing, I guess. But the, the thing is, we do this for the, for the, for the parties that are yeah, not, very, not very experienced with this, and they start paying license fees. That's right, huh? Yeah, the, the important point really is people who might be on the receiving end of trolling from Enchain, if that does happen, need to be aware that there are things that they can do. They don't just have to give in. So if they're aware of you, Arthur, it's a matter of, you know, I know a man who can who can help. Yeah. That sort of thing. It's it's making, making those links to people who might be... Um, on the receiving end of, of threats and, and getting them aware that, that there are things that they can do. Often it's just a matter of writing back to Enchain if they're alleging infringement and just say, no, it doesn't because various reasons. You know, we don't do this because we don't have this particular feature that you've got in claim one of your patents. Yeah. And it, it's all basic stuff for a patent attorney, but it might be, you know, it, you, can, you can obfuscate things an awful lot if, if, you're, if you're the patentee and start throwing throwing your weight around. 
Yeah, but I don't think Engine will get away with it when they try to pattern troll uh, big parties like uh, IBM, uh, Microsoft, uh, Ethereum, and oh, yeah, then I already lean back and uh, just let the show uh, begin and uh, I'll have my popcorn and wait for Engine to be kicked out of, uh, of the courtroom uh, about that stuff. It's a no-brainer. I looked up actually the quote from Sun Tzu. Never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. So it may well just come down to that. <laughs> yeah, that is a fantastic place to end. Well, David, you've given us a really uh, informative insight into the pattern wars and what's to come. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. It was fun. <laughs> thank you. Great stuff. Um, and of course, we'll be keeping everyone updated with developments on the patent front. And we'd love to have you on again uh, for further updates in the future. Great. I'll be happy to. Thank you both, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up uh, next year. All right. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. Bitcoin, The Man Who Wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto, and huge thanks to our guest, David Pierce. For details on how to contribute to the opposing of Craig Wright's patents, your best bet is to find David on Twitter at TuftyTheCat, or find Arthur at Arthur underscore Van underscore Pelt for details on their next target. If you'd like to get access to our monthly episodes a few days earlier, plus access to all our bonus content and announcements of what we have in store, you can do so by joining the Dr. Bitcoin Supporters Club. For more information on how to do this, please head to our website, drbitcoinpod.com. That's drbitcoinpod.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your app of choice. And if you enjoyed what you heard, please consider leaving us a rating or a review wherever you listen in order to get our message out to as many people as possible. Thanks very much for listening and we'll speak to you again soon. You've been listening to Dr. Bitcoin, the man who wasn't Satoshi Nakamoto. Written by Mark Hunter with additional material by Arthur Van Pelt. Editing and production by Mark Hunter. This has been a Contented Media Production.